Hello and welcome to Duelist Community Raw, episode 17. I am enjoying the conversation for the sake of having the conversation and letting go of any need for it to go anywhere or be anything or be heard in any specific way. Just doing it for the sake of fucking doing it. And I am fired up by the enthusiasm that goes with having a conversation for its own sake, because that's really what we're experiencing. And I can feel it right now. I can feel the growth of this conversation, the growth of the enthusiasm as more and more people get in touch with us, as more and more people come to the retreats that we're organizing, as more and more of these events and these extra little projects that we're involved with start to come to fruition. And the community really gets behind it because they want to. Not because there's anything that we're trying to fix, but because we enjoy the discussion and we're trying to create an environment that facilitates that discussion. You can really feel it happening. It's incredible. And I'm really looking forward to sharing the group discussions that we have on Patreon with our listeners here in the public. Next week, next Tuesday on Dualistic Unity Raw, we're going to be doing a group discussion with some of our Patreon supporters. And you will get a chance to actually see how healing those conversations can be and how much fun they are. Can't wait for that one. So with all of that said, I hope you enjoy this live stream that is Dual Security Raw, episode 17. Okay, here we go. I, Tuesday Raw. God, that's yeah. funny. It's I didn't even recognize that it was Tuesday. We've been going through the schedule today of recording an episode, getting ready for everything that is to come later on because we have a Patreon group after this. And it didn't even dawn on me that it's quote unquote Tuesday. Just that it's the third dualistic unity day of the week. Yeah, agreed. I was saying yesterday that my days go based upon like the main difference in each day. Uh, like Sunday is mostly Patreon group chats. Uh, Monday is our main episode that we started all of this based off of. Tuesday is movie review day. Wednesday is free group day. Uh, and then Thursday is, uh, what even, what is, what is, oh, community topics. Yeah. And sometimes a round table. And sometimes a round table. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's, that's how we finish off the week. But it's funny, like thinking just about how I used to think about my work days, like, oh, all right, Wednesday. All right. We're getting over the hump. And then finally it's like Saturday, Sunday, get some days off. And now it's like thinking about my days off, all I think about is, okay, I have some more free time to, you know, clip up some episodes or something or, you know, do something for this. But then thinking about like what we actually spend our time doing, like doing this, I get just as excited for this as anything else that I do in my life. So there's no longer like a looking forward to parts of the week, unless it's like, you know, we have a dope guest coming on. And then I'm like excited for Monday's work day. Yeah, it's it's so funny, just the shift in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a lot of exciting stuff happening at the moment, not just in terms of guests, but other stuff as well. The other day, we I don't remember which episode it was, but we were sharing that there were only six tickets left to the retreat. We are now down to three. So there are three tickets left to the retreat on April 1st on Vancouver Island. The tickets are going fast and it's because it's going to be an incredible event. It's going to be a lot of fun. That all said though, if you can't make it to the retreat in April, we are having a more social event 
a larger event in the Netherlands in November, which is now officially booked. November 11th to 19th, we are staying in the Netherlands uh, near a town called Losser. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that's what it looks like um, at this fantastic lodge. It's huge. It really is a nice place. We're going to be joined by our chef, Caitlin, and her assistant. We're going to be there. It's going to be great. There's a hot tub that's wood heated. So that'll be enjoyable as well because we love chopping wood as we discovered at the last retreat because there's a lesson in mindfulness there. Absolutely. But we'll be releasing the details for that retreat over the next couple of days on Patreon. Early access, of course, for tier three patrons and then tier two patrons and tier one patrons. And so public access probably as we get towards March. Yeah, that one is exciting. I mean, both are exciting for very different reasons, but also the same types of reasons, people coming together and being free in themselves and you know, not needing to be anything other than what they are. But that uh that Amsterdam retreat, damn, things are things are happening quick, man. Like we got one retreat under our belt, you know, a, a solid eight guests, getting nine guests for the next one. And then ah, fuck it, let's do 36 guests at the next one. It's like, why not? Why not share that and the impacts that we saw in the first retreat? I mean, if we can even get a, a semblance of that across a group of 40 people, like that's going to make some serious waves in reality. And yeah, I couldn't be more excited to do that. And and the fact that we have so much time and, and so much of this dual security is going to shift and grow between now and November, it's going to be, it's going to be insane, but it's exciting too. Cause every day is, you know, uh, enjoyable and fulfilling in and of itself. Yeah. And what's nice and exciting is that quite a few of the people who joined us at the last retreat are going to be joining us again in the Netherlands, if not in April as well, because we have a few returning guests in April. And what's nice is that that's a conversation where it's a continuation. And each and every person who can rejoin us is bringing back all of the insights that they've learned since their last experience at the retreat. So they're able to relate to all the newcomers and they're able to help further the conversation, further the insights, just by virtue of their existence alone. And it's going to be nice to reconnect with friends that we've known for eternity and that we've recognized that with. But yeah, 34, 34 guests. There's going to be six, uh, quote unquote, staff members all in all. And of course, we're going to have some of the family there as well. Amanda, who everybody recognizes from episode five, I believe it was, um, will be there lighting up everybody's day. There's going to be quite a few familiar faces to everybody who's joined us on Patreon or in the group chats. Um, I, I'm just, I'm incredibly excited. I've never been to Europe, so this is going to be an experience for me and everybody's going to get to see me quite literally out of my element. I'm excited for that. Damn, I'm I'm surprised you've never been to Europe with all of your travels that you did when you were younger, but I guess a lot of that was within North America for the most part. But um, yeah, I've been, I've been to Europe uh, just once. Uh, about that like almost five years ago now that's pretty crazy but one of the places we went was Amsterdam we stayed there for about three days I was there with like 10 of my friends from college and it was a blast it's a beautiful area and we spent some time outside of the city too in a fisherman's village town area for a day um so that I don't know I'm not familiar necessarily with exactly where the lodge is going to be I don't think it's necessarily in a fisherman's village but it's outside of the city a bit and 
yeah, I mean, it's just every place we went over there is just so beautiful. And the, yeah, just the time we're going to have, is going to be incredible and all of the things we're going to be able to do and just how relaxing it's going to be in that environment. It's going to be, going to be incredible. Oh, and you're going to get to walk around and not speak the language, which is even more fun, right? Because you really just have to go according to your intuition, your empathy, your patience, right? And, and accept that you may, maybe things aren't going to work out as easily as you would like them to. So there's all kinds of lessons there. Not just that, but of course, it's another location we've never been to before. <laughs> and so we're just, we're going in somewhat blind. But I have to say, I love that experience. I love the experience of sharing our guests' experience of the whole thing, of walking in there and going, oh, this is where we're staying. Because it's one thing to look at the photos. It's another thing to talk to the owner and go through video footage and whatnot. But really, getting there, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, the journey, it kind of reminds me of our conversation with Lisa Ann, how she was saying when she goes, she likes to travel around Europe and just likes to travel in general. And she's gotten to a point where the only sh the only thing she likes to have are her round trip flights. That's the only quote unquote, quote unquote certainty that she holds on to. And it's just so much more exciting being able to go into an environment, a new situation just not having any ideas of how you think it's going to go or what you think it's going to be like. So you're actually attentive to every single experience that you have. Every single moment is a new situation experience. And it's just so exciting to, to do something like that. I think it's why I've always enjoyed traveling is because it really forces you to be attentive to where you're at because everything you do is new. There's none of that repetitive sort of daily routine type stuff. And as much as you can be attentive and aware and there's a practice in and of itself, like, you know, you're going through your morning routine or your nighttime routine or just your day-to-day -day sort of thing, you can absolutely be attentive to that. And it's a great practice. And there is the opportunity to be just as attentive there as you are when you're traveling. But when you're traveling, it's almost forced. Like you can't settle into that type of routine or lack that awareness of where you're at and that attention, like it forces you into it. And, you know, it, it allows you to gain so many new perspectives on your environment as well as yourself. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love the feeling of being somewhere that I have no idea about that feeling where you're not even quite sure which direction north is. That's a fun feeling. It's exciting because you're fully invested in it, or at least you should be. Otherwise, it gets quite quite frustrating but that's where you're living and so i'm really enjoying the idea that we can we can share that with our guests that we can actually go for long walks with them and that's going to be fun because there's more guests this time around so it's going to be like a small parade every time we walk around representing dualistic unity as, as a group that's going to be amazing absolutely but um going through this experience of, of booking this retreat has been a lot of fun for me because although i've done a lot of events in the past never won this big and never won for something that I've had such a hand in, in watching come to be, right? It's always been for something else, for a different business, for a charity, for example, things like that. This is really exciting. And because I don't speak the language, there are all kinds of challenges involved. And just like with the first retreat, I find it all so effortless. 
not because there aren't challenges, but because there's no frustration at those challenges. It's like, eh, they're going to happen. And then they pass. For example, we were looking for uh, a guitar player. I don't know how to speak Dutch. That makes it very difficult to look around the Netherlands looking for a guitar player. But I managed to find a listing of guitar players in the area that we're going to be staying in. And it's in English. And so it's just about looking and looking and looking until finally you find an opportunity, you find a way. And this is something as a web designer and a marketer, I really had to learn, especially in terms of like research and whatnot. Sometimes you're just continuing to look. Sometimes you just have to keep going down different avenues, especially in, in terms of coding. Like there's so many different resources that you can turn to and there's so many different problems you can have that sometimes it just takes hours and hours and hours. And it can be frustrating if you have an investment in getting done faster than than reality dictates. If you have a deadline in your head and you're measuring your value accordingly, it can be really, really hard to just keep going. And that's what defeats us more often than anything else. Just how much weight we've added to ourselves. And so I find it hilarious that after all of the work I've done previous to Dualistic Unity of learning that lesson, like, yeah, sometimes you just got to grind. Sometimes you just got to grind and learn how to enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. And now I'm enjoying it in a way where it's something that I actually want to do. It's something that actually resonates with me. I'm not doing it for someone else. I find that lesson to be incredibly funny. And it kind of ties to what we were talking about earlier in the movie review about instinct. Just, you know, freedom is just on the other side of those fences that we've created for ourselves. Yeah. And the fact that along the way, whatever you're doing, you don't have to tell yourself a story about how it's going or judge yourself along the way. You can just be there for it. You know, you can, you can be the story as opposed to telling yourself a story the entire time. And the amount of energy that's available when you stop talking to yourself so much or judging yourself along the way in whatever situation you're going through, whatever situation that you're in. And we have these sort of preconceived notions of things that we're doing and what we enjoy and what we don't enjoy. And so we bring in this sort of begrudging, I can never say that word, begrudging, I think. Begrudging. Begrudging. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, begrudging. Well, it is when you throw an extra R in the front of it. Uh, begrudging mentality into certain types of things. Like, you know, we have this idea of, oh, I enjoy doing this. This is an enjoyable thing to do. And this isn't so much an enjoyable thing to do. So you, you go into it and you're like telling yourself the whole time, I wish I wasn't doing this. This isn't an enjoyable thing to do. And it's just you telling yourself that there's no objectively enjoyable and unenjoyable things that we do in this reality. So it all comes down to our perspective and our preference and our idea of what we do and don't want to be doing. But you don't have to have an opinion of what you're doing. You can just do it and learn from it. And in that recognition, you can be free in everything that you're doing and actually enjoy anything, no matter how many people would argue that it's not an enjoyable thing to do. You don't have to tell yourself that. And it's not to say that there aren't things that are going to be more or less enjoyable, but you can just leave it at that and not tell yourself how enjoyable or unenjoyable that it is. And when you stop telling yourself so many things, you can learn, at least learn from everything. 
as uncomfortable as it may be, you can at least be there for it and think, hmm, all right, there's something I can learn here. I'm I'm doing something. I I'm I'm always doing something. I got to be doing something, so I might as well do this for a bit and learn something from it because when we have preferences about what we enjoy and don't enjoy doing, we're going to lean towards only doing the things that we do enjoy doing and then we're going to cut cut ourselves off from our ability to learn new things when we get caught up in the same sort of repetitive loop every single day of only doing things we do want to do and then hating the things we don't want to do despite still having to do those things or despite still doing them every single day. So you don't have to have the opinion of the things that you're doing. And it's just fascinating how novel a concept that is. Like how how few people in our reality recognize that you don't have to judge and have an opinion about everything or anything for that matter. You can just do it. Your opinion isn't so relevant. And isn't it funny because Nike knows that exactly. Just do it. Marketing knows these things. Marketers are really good at picking up on very basic instincts, very basic things that that are true for us and that motivate us. But then they twist it with, you know, but you need these shoes, <laughs> right? And, and that's that's kind of it. But yeah, it's funny. It seems so simplistic. Just be involved with what you're doing, but it's not when, again, we grow up through this necessary tendency to think about ourselves. You know, our brain develops and it develops an image with it. It develops self-reflection with it. And with that goes the illusion of the self and all of that distortion. And so we just got to go through that. There's no reason to vilify it. There's no reason to get all bent out of shape about it, but recognizing it as something that that's temporary and not the template for society, I think is going to be one of the biggest influencers on us as a whole. Like just the recognition that there's something else, the recognition that there's more than just getting more. You know, there is actually existence, just plain existence that's fulfilling and you don't need anything to get to it. You don't got to buy a book. You don't have to follow anybody. You don't have to invest in anything. It's right here, right now, all the time, because it's you. But you have to get all the shit that you've picked up on the way out of the way in order to see it. And only you can do that. I think the only thing about this conversation is the fact that we're always talking about it. We're always talking about it. And so there's an opportunity for you to go, oh, right, that. And jettison that shit out the airlock so you don't have to carry it with you. That's all the discussion is. We're not trying to lead you anywhere. We can't lead you anywhere. We cannot give you the will to change. You already have the will to change. That's why you've already made it so far through this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. Because... You're already in the state of mind where you're willing to question yourself. You're just looking for different ways to do so, right? And the more ways that you do find to question yourself, the more your brain is going to have more information to, to process and more context to process and your, and your view of the universe and your role within it will continue to change. And that's all we're trying to encourage, your growth. We don't care which direction that goes we just care that you grow and that you feel more free to do so yeah and that <clears throat> that ability to let go of that as you said necessary tendency to think about yourself is always available 
Like you can always practice that. Like if you're if you're bored looking for something to do, like work on not telling yourself a story about where you're at. Just be where you're at. Recognize you don't have to talk to yourself about yourself every single moment of every single day. You don't have to bring that story or, you know, you're bored. Just go through the things that you believe to be true about yourself. Kind of like in Discover Transcendence, when you look in the mirror and point out all the things that you think someone would you know, notice about you when they first meet you. And just understand that none of them are the truth of what you are. All of those things you believe to be the truth about you, all of your strengths and weaknesses, opinions, things you think are good and bad, things you like and don't like about yourself, none of them are necessary and none of them are true. And they're all limitations, no matter the positive or the negative story. Any story you tell yourself is going to limit you from recognizing your true potential, your infinite potential in every single moment. And I think beyond just the ability, because this is applicable, this is available in every single moment, doing things that kind of put you out of your comfort zone, those, if you think, say, for example, you know, you're going through it and, and you are quieter, you know, you're, you're not telling yourself so much of a story next sort of step in that is to put your, or if you want, you know, I guess more of a challenge or something, go do something physically difficult. Cause I guarantee you start doing that. More stories are going to come up. You're going to start telling yourself more things, how you don't have to be doing this right now. You could be doing something else and continuing to do it. Despite all of the things that you're telling yourself will make it easier than when you're not going through so much physical exertion. And so I know we've talked about Wing Chun a lot, but like the thing I'm doing right now is I've been running a little bit more. And like, I just got done. I ran uh, four miles in between our two calls. And like every time it's funny, I get to a point, it's usually around like between two and a half and three and a half miles where it's like those first three just suck. And it's like grinding through it. And I keep saying like, don't have to do this. Oh, your foot's going to start hurting. Your knee's going to start hurting after this. Like, you don't, you can just stop. You can walk the rest of the way. Like I have so many fucking stories that come into my mind because I'm aware of like that running isn't a necessary thing. Like a lot of people get caught up in thinking like, oh, I want to lose weight. So I have to start running. And like, they think it's necessary. I understand that it's not. So like, there's a lot of things kind of working against me doing this. Like I'm literally just doing it because I know that these stories and these excuses will come up and understanding that I don't have to listen to them. Like I don't have to take them seriously. Then, you know, in other situations, as things arise, like, oh, careful, you know, don't go into this situation because remember how this went last time and, you know, you did really poorly on this. So don't do this again. It's like anything you do, no matter what it is, can be a practice in letting go of needing to tell yourself that story or feeling like, you have to always be telling yourself a story because that story is always going to be there. That's the thing. And as you go through, you know, more difficult situations, it'll get louder. But through those, you can recognize that you still don't have to take it seriously. You can still do it despite how you feel, despite the thoughts that are arising, despite the story you continue to tell yourself. You can ignore it. You don't have to take it seriously and you can keep working through it despite the story. And in that, it's not that it goes away necessarily, but it gets a lot quieter. It stops fighting so hard when you recognize that you don't have to take it seriously. Yeah. It stops dictating your life. And it's so interesting because we'll 
try to focus on the idea of manifestation. Like we'll create a vision board of what we want to have in our life, the change we want to experience and see, but we'll continue thinking the same things while we focus on eventually getting there and miss all the opportunities that might take us in that direction because we are already manifesting how we perceive the world. That's why you are where you are. So if you want to experience something different, you have to manifest something different now. That means you have to let go of the very narrow tunnel that your self-image has created for you because it's narrowing down your potential. Your potential is otherwise a huge, brilliant light that's being narrowed down to a very small beam. And it's blinding you to everything that you can do just because you're focused on the certainty of looking at one direction. Don't focus on the directions so much as the state of mind that you're walking in, because that state of mind is at least fluid. Right? That's what Bruce Lee was saying about, you know, don't pray for an easy life, pray for the strength to deal with a hard life. Right? Because at least then if it is easy, sweet, no problem. But if it gets hard, you can deal, you can adapt, you can make the most of it. And that's far better to be able to nurture and cultivate that mentality, because at least then you're appreciating it even when it is challenging, because you're gaining more strength, you're gaining more insight. And it makes me wonder if a, if an easy life even exists, you know, like it's all, all the lives that we live are all relative to the life that we've lived. So someone could have the idea of an easy life and then they get there and then there's all other different sorts of issues and problems kind of like that story of the the stone cutter that you were talking about that you know he wishes to be the the like prince or whatever master and then and then king and then son and then all these things thinking that like oh that's going to be an easier life that's going to be a better life i'm gonna have more power then that's going to be more enjoyable that's what i want and every time there's unforeseen challenges and issues until finally comes full circle to being back where where he started and so understanding that that you don't have to live in comparison compare your life relative to everyone else's life because there's all different sorts of things that people go through there is no objectively easy life i don't think like and even you know even looking at society we have the idea that if you're middle class or whatever, you just think that all rich people have it super easy. And then we look at majority of like rich and famous people. A lot of them are killing themselves. So there's clearly not an objective comfort or ease, ease to life. Like there's always a spectrum no matter where you go. Obviously, there's a difference between being deep, deep in poverty and, and starving versus not being in that there is a degree to that but there's still always that spectrum i'm curious your thoughts because your your eyebrows are raising <laughs> it's such a tricky conversation right like it really is because and i say this as somebody who's been through poverty i say this as somebody who's been on that far end of the spectrum there's at least this idea that you can improve your situation when you're rich, like ridiculously rich, there's no limitation to you improving your quote unquote situation. There's nowhere else to go. 
is what I'm saying. You're already rich. You already have all the comforts. You already have, you already have all of the things that at one point in a state of poverty, you would have been like, that's going to make my life better, except you're still feeling unhappy. You're still lacking. And so it's almost worse to some degree. Like it's, I'm not saying it's harder physically because it sucks to be starving. It sucks to, to be homeless. It sucks to go through all that physically. It's really hard psychologically as well. But could you imagine getting everything that you wanted only to still feel depressed and empty and alone? That sucks in a big way because you almost have to come to the point where you recognize none of it defines you. In which case now you're, you're faced with the regret of trying so hard to get it for so long. Like there's so much that goes with that. So you may as well just turn to distraction and power. You may as well just, you know, turn to continuing to feed your ego because everybody around you is doing that and they're all lauding you for how much you have. It'd be really tricky. This is why, you know, Christ in his whole like rich man has the same chance of getting into heaven as the camel through the eye of a needle through a very narrow gate. I know he was referring to that, but the point being is that really hard, really hard. He never said that about the poor, though, did he? No, he didn't. Yeah, it's uh, that whole recognition is interesting because we all hold on to these ideas without recognizing the reality of them and what we really <clears throat> suffer through, like what really causes our our anguish. And as you being in a situation in which there's nowhere else to go can be just as defeating as feeling like the situation that you're stuck in being on the other end of the spectrum is what you're always going to be in. Like it almost, I feel like there's, there's a sort of balance on either end of the person who has nothing more, seemingly nothing more to gain because they keep trying to derive their value from the things that they get. And then they, they have everything they could want. So, you know, they get a fucking super mega yacht that they have to build a whole new bridge waterway for in whatever country it was built in. And they keep trying to do stuff like that versus the person who is caught in hardly having anything to their name and feeling like they're always going to be in that situation, not seeing anywhere more to go. So it really becomes clear that it comes down to the mentality that you're in the ability to recognize that your value isn't derived from all of those things that you are where you're at and that's the extent of you and your value doesn't waver so it's interesting that it's a it is a tough one to have because people hate feeling empathy towards someone who seemingly has everything but, you know, I think for for anyone, there's always going to be a spectrum and it's not about the materiality of it. It's about their mentality and feeling like, you know, do I need more? Again, the who has more, the man who has everything or the man who wants nothing. And that's always what it comes down to. Like the man who has everything, there's nowhere else to go and they could just as easily want to just kill themselves as someone who feels like they have nothing, but it's, it's the one who wants nothing that truly has the most. It's that whole thing of your possessions end up possessing you, right? Like the man who has everything, has everything to lose. So there's fear there. There's a, a lack of, 
faith in yourself, especially if you define yourself by all those things, because why else would you have everything, right, without sharing it? And it's so interesting that you're right, that like you look at the two ends of, ends of the spectrum, the misery of having everything and still feeling lack versus the misery of having nothing and feeling lack. You're still feeling lack. If only those two people could find empathy for one another and just share, right? But what gets in the way, as always, our ego. Our ego gets in the way. And it's just because we have a tendency of comparing pain. I was having this conversation last night, actually, with someone we were talking about what's worse, the first time you've experienced a pain or ongoing pain? Because with ongoing pain, you develop some tolerance, you develop a thicker skin, right? So it's not as abrupt as that first time pain, but it's ongoing. So which is worse? Because the very first time you've ever experienced pain, it was the most painful thing you've ever experienced because it was the first time you experienced pain. You had no preparation for it. You were completely raw. And ever since then, you've developed some strength from that experience. So which is worse? And that's an interesting point. You can't compare pain, right? So I think this comes down to the mentality again, because say it's the first time you experience pain. And then if you carry on, say it doesn't happen again, necessarily immediately, but you carry on this fear of the pain happening again. It's like you're basically carrying on the pain with you. And then if it keeps happening and you let go of the idea or, or kind of settle into this mentality that this is the way that it's always going to be and you don't see it ending, it's like both of them, that kind of equates them in a way, I feel like, that you keep bringing it with you into every moment. So if it happens once, it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about the experience of it, but the mental psychological side of it. Like if it happens once, like that's what happens with a lot of people's traumas. I feel like one thing happens and then they're kind of afraid of it happening potentially for the rest of their life. Cause it was so impactful as opposed to recognizing that, you know, when it happened the first time it had nothing to do with them and their value. And so if it happens again, it won't have anything to do with them or their, their value versus on the flip side, you know, something that keeps happening over and over and over again. It's not that you're necessarily afraid of it happening again. You've kind of accepted that you feel like that's just the way it is and it's never going to be any different. And so that that sort of carries with it its own weight. But both of them create a have the potential to create a psychological weight but that's up to you yes and no i mean depends on, on how old you are and, and again the the, uh, the ability that you've developed to adapt right like this is the thing about trauma it's often trauma because we've never experienced anything like it before and so we develop a response to that traumatic event that's usually unhealthy but done in order to protect us right and so then the problem is the response. That's what becomes habitual. So every time a similar situation comes up, we go back into that trauma response, that fear, that, that reaction. Whereas if we let go of the trauma response, we would have a different reaction. We would be able to see things differently, but that's, that's that whole trauma recovery thing. That's what that is, is going through everything about your reaction to that experience, coming out the other side and seeing it for what it was without judgment and learning that you've grown from it. 
So that way you can put it away and say, I've learned from that. It no longer has to define me. But every person who goes through that process comes out the other side stronger, no longer as afraid of pain as a whole, of trauma as a whole, because they recognize I've been through it. Right? And it changes things. But that first traumatic event, it's huge. Right. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean any of the other events after the fact aren't also difficult. It's just that there isn't that resistance to it. Like we were saying, right? But it's difficult, especially with children. You know, children really have, it's not just about going through something traumatic as a child. Like they're still trying to form an idea of what the hell the world is, right? And in that, all of a sudden, somebody comes in thinking, about, thinking only about themselves and causing harm. And so their entire trajectory into a healthy worldview gets interrupted in a big way and it throws them right out of whack because of it and and that's why traumatized children are usually so internalized largely right they're they're and not always sometimes they learn to adapt sometimes they will learn to quote unquote mask right but it's always some some reaction to reality that isn't quite normal for that age you know they'll mature a lot faster for example right and as a result later on they'll kind of miss the childhood that they never had right? Things like that. And it's because they have no other way to deal with reality. You know, it's, it's different. You and I being the age that we are, somebody comes up to us and insults us. We've had the conversation. We've gone through enough of that to go, well, fuck you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really have to worry about it. But another child, they might lash out and defend themselves, but they'll carry that with them, right? Because they don't understand it doesn't affect them whatsoever. They've never been exposed to somebody trying to tear them down, for example. Yeah, bringing in the uh, <clears throat> side of it of childhood and whatnot and childhood trauma, like there isn't that ability to understand what's going on. Like now, as you said, like now, you know, someone comments something on one of my videos or comes up to me and like insults me, I laugh because it's like it's absurd, and I know that it's just them dealing with their shit for the most part. But on the child side like they don't necessarily understand nearly the amount if if even like anything about why people do things they just see that it happened it was a painful experience in whatever way shape or form that it took and they just respond however they deem necessary however they can to the situation so they can't necessarily understand so a lot of it you know going back to the question of the one-time pain versus the repeated pain like the child doesn't have any or nearly as much ability to understand why it happened or why the person did it or where it was coming from as you develop throughout your life and understand where those types of things come from, why people act the way that they act, it gets a lot easier to let things go. But that's you know, that's why so many people have childhood trauma. And that's where it happened because they dealt with it how they could and they never had the ability to understand where it came from. And then it just kind of got buried or you know, they dealt with it however however they possibly could. And as an adult, then they're still kind of dealing with it, but they sometimes don't even know or remember where it came from. And then 
so they're they're just like dealing with this kind of programmed reality that they don't understand but they're just responding to the reality that they learned was reality as a child and so in that case i don't know if i don't know if the question even is one time pain or repeated pain for a child even a question like cuz it, it kind of comes down to your ability to understand where the person is coming from who's doing it as an adult you can understand that more clearly and then deal with it but as a child like both can be equally as detrimental and impactful exactly exactly it's so hard to compare the two right so this is why you can't compare pain between people right because everybody's had that same initial pain everybody's gone through that we've all suffered to some degree and so it's really important to just remember that when you're dealing with people because we always want to compare pain and it's one of the biggest things that's getting in our way i mean the conversation we were having earlier between you know somebody who's in poverty versus somebody who's rich also kind of goes towards the conversation that's currently happened between happening between the oppressors and the oppressed right the colonizers and the colonized because the colonized are looking at it going we're getting shit on and we have been forever right and the colonizers are going but we feel empty and we need something to satiate this emptiness we need something because i have nothing and and we can't see that common misery can't see that that common unhappiness because one side so so busy looking at the other side right and that's that's kind of the shame and it's because again so much of it's habitual so much of it is just layer upon layer upon layer over time just like with a child going into adulthood we are a child collectively going into adulthood with a thousand plus years of just brutality and murder right that's a lot of trauma that we have left and that we have yet to unpack because everybody's trying to blame one another or avoid blame right so it's really it's a difficult conversation but that all said this is why psychedelic therapies are so exciting because in psychedelic therapies the person has the chance and the space and the mentality to just let all of those habits drift away so they can identify the root of them because that's the thing about psychedelics is that they bring up the shit that you've been avoiding the stuff that's influencing everything you think about but you don't look at because it hurts psychedelics get rid of all the things you think about and show you the cause of your hurt and that's where you have an opportunity to look at it deal with it but it's impossible to do as long as you're running from it reacting to it coping with it defining yourself as not having it or somebody who suffers from it like there's so much that gets in the way of us actually addressing the thing that's twisting the flow for us uh, and i wanted to segue quickly because we had a comment here from a little while ago um unrelated it's actually related now because i brought in psychedelics if you had infinite money and could design and pay for a psychedelic research study what would it be and first of all i would like to say Oh, if only. And one day, let's hope the dualistic unity is actually able to do that. I know there's a company here on Vancouver Island called Numinous. They are doing psychedelic research studies. It would be fantastic if we could somehow team up with them towards something in that regard. But there are a lot of studies I would love to see. Specifically, though, for my own interest, this is going on a bit of a tangent. And I'm thinking this is something we're going to end up doing at a retreat at some point in the future. 
I would like to do a, a psychedelic study wherein there is an egg from the Global Consciousness Project, a random number generator with everybody there having a conversation specifically or oriented around removing the ego. A conversation where it's just ease. Everybody being, having a good time, recognizing we're one. And to watch that random, random number generator, just not even watch it, but after the fact, look at the data. Because I honestly think there is something happening in that mentality, especially with a group of people that is measurable. I just don't think anybody's ever tried to measure it. Yeah, I think I think if we had one at the last retreat, it definitely would have shown us something, especially some of those nights. But that'd be really cool. And yeah, it makes me wonder on psychedelics, you know, it downregulates default mode network, like you're not thinking about yourself quite so much. It's like, it's almost like the uh, the universe opens up to its potential. And so it really does make it clear to me that the stories we tell ourselves, the idea of us that doesn't actually fucking exist is the thing that cuts us off from that potential. Like that's the universal hindrance across our society is the idea of me cuts me off from being able to be free, be free from that. And yet we cling to it as if it is helping us, as if it's actually benefiting us, as if it's actually allowing us to reach our true potential because our true potential is measured based upon how big we can build the idea. And no matter how big it gets, like oftentimes the bigger it gets, the more limited it gets, the more confined it gets the narrower it gets because the more severe the idea gets or the more serious the idea gets and so all it ever comes down to is letting go of that idea and psychedelics are just a way to sort of accelerate or almost not force but kind of force that process to happen in a sense and so yeah i mean if we can get one of those at one of the retreats that would be pretty fucking awesome, especially as as we continue on having more and more retreats and more and more people coming through them and then going out into the world. Like the world's gonna start changing at a at a even more rapid pace than it is right now, just surrounding the conversation that you're not what you think you are. Like, that's that's what it comes down to. That's what this entire conversation comes down to is you are not what you think you are. And beyond that idea, you're me, you're God, you're just reality. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about the increase in frequency of these events because every person listening to this episode, every person listening to any of the episodes, every person having this discussion, having an insight, to me, they're all like musical notes. Right. And each one of these events is kind of like a drumbeat. And what's nice is that the more of these events happen, the faster the drumbeat picks up. And we're basically just rippling out into the world. Each time somebody comes to the to the retreat and leaves, they're going back out and changing everything just because they've had the space and the time to actually allow themselves to change like they wanted to. 
And then they go back out into the world and they just create more ripples. Well, we had one retreat in, in November. We're having another one in April. Then there's going to be another one in November after that. We may do an event this summer, though it's going to be shorter and we'll keep everybody in, informed of that. Then we're going to be going to Australia in 2024. We're going to be having another retreat, of course, here on, on Vancouver Island. We may return to the Netherlands, but the point is, is that there's going to be more and more of these events. So more and more of us have access to one another. Last night, I was hanging with Melissa and we had uh, someone that she's managed to get to know here locally uh, through work associations and whatnot, but never really had a chance to hang out with and just shoot the breeze outside of social interactions. And so they came over last night and we just sat down, started talking. Within about a half hour, she just relaxed. She's just like, this is nice. Just have a conversation. Like, I don't feel like I have to watch what I'm saying. It was hilarious to just have this person express exactly what it is we're talking about here on the podcast all the time that the world has forgotten how to connect with one another. We're so caught up on our, in our illusions that it's difficult to even have a conversation where it's just open minded and fun without any actual purpose, just for the sake of communion, just for the sake of connection. And so she was having a blast. Three hours flew by and all of a sudden she's like, oh shit, I got to go to work. <laughs> and so she left, but we were talking about the podcast and we were talking about what we're doing here. And she was commenting in her life. She feels really isolated. Like she's the only person thinking about these things, wondering why we can't connect. And everybody around her is just judging themselves, judging her, trying to get ahead or compare or find their value throughout, you know, through competition and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah. And that is a common thread. Everybody who came to the retreat feels isolated in their own lives. Because we're waking up of necessity. Somebody has to wake up. And in a room full of people who are toxic and asleep and hurting one another and hurting each other, eventually somebody's going to go, what the hell is going on? And if you're listening, it's probably you. In which case, you're still surrounded by those people, but you're awake, which means the room has changed. The room has changed because you're part of the room. You're part of the environment. That's all this is about. And so we're giving you an opportunity to leave the room, go to another room where the people aren't as toxic, where they're all just like you coming from rooms that are toxic and having a chat and then going back to their rooms and making an even bigger fucking ripple because you know you're not alone. Even though you're alone, at least you know you're not alone in that, that there are people having that experience that share that with you and that see a vision for how the world can change if we just don't stop growing for the sake of insecure people. Yeah. Oh, man. It's uh, the impacts that are made post, you know, retreat. And it's funny even, even referencing the retreat because it's like, yeah, those are specific events, but it's not even that it's doing anything. It's just, it's fascinating. Like, like, uh, the friend that you guys had over yesterday, she's like, ah, no one's talking about this stuff. I can't find anyone to talk about this stuff. It's like, this is the fabric of our existence of our reality. Like this is the most basic conversation that we can possibly have. Like, who am I? That's what it, that's what all of this comes down to. And yet that's the one that we avoid. That's the one that no one's having. We have all these other crazy fucking conversations about the most absurd things, the most, I don't even, I don't like saying shallow because it's not that, but it's just like 
there's an avoidance of this conversation that's like seems very purposeful and so and even you know in our society now with all like cancel culture and you know you got to say this you can't say that like everyone's so concerned about what they're saying we can't speak freely even and so we're holding on to this fear of how we might be perceived based on what we say and that's reinforcing the idea of me the entire time so we can't tap into sort of a flow state of conversation and like stream of consciousness because we're always cutting it off along the way as we go we're like hmm oh can't say that oh i don't want to be perceived this way oh i can't say that cuz this person's going to think this way and it's like along the way reinforcing the idea and it makes me wonder if all of this you know thinking about collective ego mentality and sort of strategy with that if something like cancel culture and not being allowed to say certain things is another way that it reinforces division that it reinforces identity absolutely of course it's more control right that makes me uncomfortable so instead of me getting over my shit you got to change and i'm so adamant about that point that i'm going to vilify you and your entire life based on one thing and that is unfortunately what often happens in quote unquote cancel culture because it's it's a reactive mentality it's just like the idea of uh playing a game what you don't want to play by my rules i'm going to take my ball and go home right except in this case it's what you don't want to play by my rules I'm going to force you to play by my rules or everybody here is going to vilify you and ostracize you and make you out to be just the most terrible person ever because you don't want to pay, play by my rules. And that's unfortunately the case, right? And it's not that malicious. I know it sounds malicious when you say when you make it sound like that. It sounds like a dictatorship, but it's really insecurity. It's really fragility. That's all it is. It is just I don't want to stop letting you have power over me. I'd rather you just let go of that power. Well, you can just stop letting me have power over you. You know, that, that's what you can do to some degree. And again, I know the argument immediately is going to be like, what about the system? I get that. I understand that. I do. But until you recognize, it's like the word that Andrew was using there in what he was just saying, we can't speak up. Oh, bullshit. We absolutely can't. And we should with awareness. We should with awareness and the understanding that it's likely not going to be met with a certain degree of appreciation. It's just like being in a relationship where you get to the point where you're not talking to one another and you're all and you're walking on eggshells. What do you do with your relationship? Stomp all the fuck over those eggshells. Stomp them right into the dirt. Make it fucking clear. I'm no longer walking on eggshells. We got to talk. We got to talk and we have to be open about it. We have to be honest about it. And if it ends up ending the relationship or making this hard, so be it. We'll work through it. But the alternative is just to sit in limbo and that being its own type of hell. It doesn't work. And so this is one of the things that often you'll hear in opposition to like hate speech laws, things like that. Like you shouldn't be telling people what to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about hate speech? You can't control what people say. If they're not saying it publicly, they're saying it in private and in public places that you don't see, right? This is how those movements form. Whereas if we were to just go, 
all right, let's face that hate speech and actually have it out, have the conversation in the open, in, in, in public, welcome it and have that conversation. I think things would change. Um, there's a movie about this and I, I wish I could remember the name of it, um, but it was about, basically there was a school in the sixties and uh, it was for African-American children only and it shut down. This was during segregation. And so they had to move the children into an all white school to finish their school year. And there was a lot of, of argument about this. And so the local leader of the KKK and the local leader of the African-American community ended up having to meet weekly with this mediator to try and figure out how to make this work. There's a movie about this. I, Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell's in it. I definitely recommend it. It's a fantastic movie if I can remember the name. Um, by the end of this, and this is a true story, this actually happened. By the end of this, those two people, the leader of the KKK and the leader of the African-American community in that town became close friends. He left the KKK. He publicly stated, I no longer believe that I am superior to black people. Why? Dialogue. Dialogue and exposure. Dialogue and exposure without forcing people to act a certain way to actually let them see the humanity in someone else. To facilitate an environment where that is possible but our environment is facilitated specifically to be divisive. We focus on everything that divides us. We identify with whatever category or group that we're in and we divide it and we compare ourselves to everyone else, right? But it doesn't have to be that way, but we have no faith in humanity at all. It's like, we're trying to protect ourselves from ourselves. Like if you were to sit two people down in a room who don't agree with one another, immediately it's gonna end up in bloodshed and it won't. Almost always those people are going to find a way to build a bridge because we all want to when we get past our hurt, when we get past our pain. It's our pain that's distorting us and our pain is largely connected, as Andrew said, to the narrative we're holding on to. It's not that painful things haven't happened. It's that we're not using them to create a less painful experience. We're dragging that pain with us into the future, into the present, and it's creating more of it. Uh, the best of enemies. Is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a good one. Maybe a movie review at some point. Hell yeah. But yeah, it just goes to show how important the conversation is. Like that is what has to be allowed in order for changes to be made. And it's so fascinating to me that people actually think that, you know, canceling someone, suppressing them, moving them, deplatforming them is going to change anything like how do we not recognize that that's so clearly just a band-aid it's not actually curing anything it's not actually solving anything because as you as you said people are going to be having the conversation whether it's out in the open or not and oftentimes when it's not allowed to be out in the open it sort of strengthens it and gets people even more angry and creates more division and more enemies and more of this idea that they're so hung up on, like with racism, that a certain race is a certain way, when there's no ability to communicate and learn from and understand the person that you think you hate, when in reality, you're just hating an idea that you don't actually understand, it's allowed to perpetuate and fester 
I, li- I like that word this this week, fester. <laughs> it's like the idea of ourself is allowed to fester. The idea of racism is allowed to fester when it's kept in the shadows, when it's kept out of the open. But if it were, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but all growth is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to allow someone to say all that stuff and do all that those things. But we have to understand that it's coming from a certain fear. It's a coming from a certain naivety. They don't actually clearly don't actually understand what they're hating. They're hating something they don't understand. And so once it's allowed to be out in the open, they can actually learn about the thing that they don't understand and, and understand it potentially a little bit better. And then we can grow and then we can learn from it. But those ideas don't go away just because they're not allowed to be on TikTok, you know, just because they're not allowed to be on a platform doesn't mean they don't exist. We're just allowed to push them away and because, oh, that makes me uncomfortable to hear someone talk about that. It's like, well, let's try and understand why they're talking about that. And it's mostly, almost always rooted in fear, like we saw in uh, in Instinct. Like all of the reactions that all of those clinging to control had towards uncertainty was fear. It was all rooted in fear. And then they tried to cling back to that control that didn't actually exist. And so in suppressing people and hiding certain ideas and mentalities, it's it's thinking that we have control over it when we when we don't. And the way to actually overcome it and change the narrative and shift our reality is by talking about it, is by having having open dialogue and conversations. And those who are so caught up in the in any bigotry or or racism if they were allowed to have the conversation and talk to people a lot of times they'd probably realize how fucking absurd it is like in that movie that you were just talking about like once they are finally able to interact with someone of the side that they thought they hated they're like ah shit this this doesn't really make much sense it's in in when we're kept away from that understanding that it's allowed to you know perpetuate and it's because as humans as reality as myself experiencing myself we have significantly more similarities than we do differences and we just get so hung up on the differences and focus on those then we're actually able to interact we recognize that oh you know we're not so different oh that one little thing our skin is a different tone that's just one tiny thing among a billion things of which, you know, 99% of them are exactly the same. Oh, we're actually quite similar. I didn't even know that because I've never interacted with you in this type of way before. Yeah, but we're kind of tending the garden with the flamethrower, right? Like, oh, there's some weeds popping up. Time to torch everything. And, and that's kind of the way that we're addressing everything that we don't like rather than addressing where it comes from right like we'll cancel someone like andrew tate instead of focusing on a dialogue that undermines the mentality that created andrew tate right like we will rally against racism or rather we will rally against racist people and racism itself but not the mentality of identity that reinforces racism, right? And that's the problem is that it's gonna keep popping up if you keep reinforcing the illusion that creates it. 
as long as you believe there are races, there are there's racism, right? Like that's the whole point. You're seeing division. Your brain is reinforcing that division. Immediately, it makes assumptions based on your self-image, and now there's a divide, and you're afraid of anything that isn't isn't like you. And see how immediately your idea of yourself changes that? Whatever you consider yourself to be is what's like you. But if you don't consider yourself to be any one thing, if nothing defines you, then everyone's like you. Right? We all have similarities. And speaking back about that movie, The Best of Enemies, I'm glad you reminded me of the title. There was one part in that movie that's really telling. And it was when the leader of the KKK, who has children himself, who values his family, like, He's a human being. He just has this one specific view that's self-defining and reinforced by his community of other racist people. Well, he's talking to the leader of the African-American community and, and her children, and they're afraid of him. And he's like, hi, how's it going? And they like back off. And it really bothered him because he has his own kids. He's like, why, why, why are they afraid of me? Like there was such cognitive dissonance. Like, why are they afraid of you? Why do you think they're afraid of you, right? But he didn't look at it that way. He was so involved with his worldview that you forget it affects actual human beings with feelings. That's what we were saying the other day about vilification. It makes people inhuman because it, it validates what you consider to be human. So as soon as you're validating yourself, you're cut off from everyone. You're cut off because they become an idea instead of being you with all the feelings and all the sensitivities and all the potential for trauma that goes with that. And so that's it. That's really it is that none of what we're talking about is going to be a silver bullet that changes the world overnight. Racism isn't going to disappear. War is not going to disappear. Greed's not going to disappear. But the foundation that those extreme results are based on will start to erode because that's the point. Those are extreme results. Those are illnesses caused by, a, by something, an infection that is festering, as Andrew said. We look at these problems like they're individual problems, but they're not. They all come back down to one singular sickness, the idea of who we are as truth. As soon as we're in there, as soon as we believe the idea of who we are as the truth, we're no longer in reality, which means we're no longer one and all of our actions change accordingly. It really is that simple. I wish it was more complicated. We almost want it to be more complicated. I've actually had people say like, it can't really just keep coming down to one thing. It really does. It really does. It's just over how long of a time, right? Because you could look at somebody who's extremely violent and go, well, look, that person's extremely violent. Okay. Let's look at how their identity was reinforced in their lifetime. Let's look at how their parents treated them based on their identities. Let's look at the culture that they grew up in and, and its commitment to identity and judgment and shame and all of that. And I guarantee there isn't a goddamn horror in this world that doesn't come back to this fucking fiction of us. It always does eventually. It's just that we don't want to, we don't want to admit it because then we have to change. We don't want to look at it because then we have to give it up. The party has to end. And we're going to burn the fucking house down until finally we go, okay, the party's over and pick up the pieces. Or we can just do it now, willingly, out of awareness and responsibility and empathy for the poor dude who's drank too much and he's sitting over the toilet bowl. It's time to end the party, everybody. Wrap it up. Let's clean up and we can have some coffee and enjoy the sunrise. 
Amen. Amen. Uh, it is, it is fascinating how it is that simple. Like it does really come down to that one fucking illusion of me. And I liked what you said when referencing the movie that when you're holding on to an idea of you, you have immediately have an idea of other, and depending on your perception of yourself, that's going to dictate your perception of other people. And you don't recognize that that's the root. Like it always comes back to you. It's not about the other. The other is a product of the idea of you. And so as you let go of that, there isn't so much idea of others. And there isn't so much concern. And as you hold on to you needing to validate your own thing, like with that movie, with someone who's a fucking white supremacist, they have this idea that their value is derived from that. And so therefore, automatically, Someone who isn't that same idea or they don't see as the same type of idea, they have to hate, they have to diminish, they have to demean, they have to put down, they have to judge. But it's because of the idea of themselves that they do that. It's not that they don't have an idea of themselves and they just have an idea of other people. Like people, I think that's something that people miss is that hate doesn't come from not having an idea of yourself. If you don't have an idea of yourself, there's nothing else to hate because without an idea of yourself, you see yourself in everyone and everything. But it's the idea of yourself that causes that. And so it has to be a letting go of that idea in order to recognize that all of those barriers and walls and judgments and perceptions and opinions about people who don't align with that idea of you aren't necessary. It's like they automatically kind of fade away as your idea of yourself fades away. And there's yeah. a ton of benefit that goes along with that to letting go of that idea of yourself for yourself. It's not even necessarily, it doesn't, you don't have to focus about like being a better person necessarily. It's just letting go of that idea of you. And through that, there's significantly more empathy and less room for the, the hate and judgments because you don't feel like you have to build up the idea of you with all of those concepts and things that you think about yourself yeah but be aware that if you are currently dwelling on the idea of you it's because you have to you have to go through that process we actually biologically go through this process of developing an idea of ourselves it's necessary it's just that we cling to it it's just that we hold on to it people don't come to us and say that's a tool it's not the truth Instead, they come over and go, yeah, my idea, is of, uh, my idea of myself is the truth and it's better than yours, which reinforces your need to define yourself because, of course, now you're trying to validate and feel more valuable because they just tore you down because you're believing in your idea of yourself. Right? It's all connected. I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day because, man, teenage life is fucking heartbreaking. Like, it's so hard because, again, you're going through this necessary development of building this self-image. It's necessary. It's part and parcel of being human. We just go through it, but nobody's having that counter conversation. And so her friends judge her. It tears her down. She gets upset. And we're having the conversation of, but they don't see you. Like they're only judging themselves, which is why they're judging you. And she's like, well, yeah, I kind of see it. But, but what if it's not that? And all I can tell her is it is that. 
Like it's always that. That's what it is. That's why they judge. There's no other reason to judge. And I asked her, I'm like, when you're around people who, who aren't insecure, do they judge you? She's like, well, no, because they're not judging themselves. They always go together. You're never being judged. You are only being blamed for somebody else's self-judgment. Yeah, and that's a that's a powerful one to recognize because if you do think if you think about it, really, like, yeah, anyone who isn't insecure, why would they feel any sort of need to do so? Like judging someone doesn't feel good unless you're trying to fulfill a hole, fulfill a lack. If there is no hole, if there is no lack, like you have an infinite number of things you can spend your time doing. Why the fuck are you going to spend it tearing another iteration of you down? Like just doesn't make any sense. Like it, it rationally just makes no sense. Like it's not a fun thing. You think about what you want to do throughout your day. It's like you don't spend, you don't write on your to-do list, like judge this person. It's, it's what arises when you don't feel complete in yourself, where you're like, okay, now I'm not feeling super complete. Uh, I'm going to judge that person and that person, bring them down a little bit. All right. I'm, I'm feeling like I can keep moving through, through this day, but it's not this premeditated thing. It's like a instinctual thing. When we feel like we're not enough, when we feel that idea of ourself is, is lowered. It's like, we have to fulfill that to a certain degree, but it's always a reflection of how we see ourselves because that self is an illusion. So when you don't have so much of that, there's not even the consideration of judging another illusion. When you're so enthralled in the illusion of you, all you see are illusions all around you. All you see are reflections of yourself in other people, reflections of that illusion of you in everyone else and as that illusion of you is you know questioned or you feel like it's not being validated by another person then you almost feel this inherent need to judge them for it because you no longer feel as good as you did before they didn't validate you or didn't think in the way that you wanted them to think or didn't meet your expectations so you almost have to lash out it's almost instinctual when you're lost in illusions to lash out and to judge those ideas but it's it's because we're caught up in illusion so it always comes down to that it always comes down to a lack a feeling of lack within yourself that you're trying to fulfill because you think you are what you think you are yeah and if you get that then you can actually play with the humor of judgment because as we've often said there is no humor that's not at someone else's expense to some degree. And so when I was younger, much younger, before I woke up, uh, I ran a painting crew in the city that I was living in. And we used to do residential paint painting for apartment buildings and new constructions and, and stuff like that. And so I had three or four painters that I would rely on most of the time, but occasionally I would have to hire someone new. And at one point we hired this kid 
who was a few years younger than me, but he was really green to the job. He had never actually had any labor job whatsoever. His dad was super rich and, and paid for his car and paid for his rent and paid for all this. And his dad was like cutting him off. But anyway, the point is, is that he came into the paint crew. Now, anybody who's ever worked labor, anybody who's ever worked on a construction site knows that the humor is rough. It's not friendly humor. Everybody is ripping on everyone else. And they're all more or less just laughing it off because they don't take it seriously. And it's really important to remember that, that a lot of these people who are working in that job site have, have grown up in that culture, because it is, it very much is its own environment on, on a labor site, for sure. There's a, different, there's a different priority and a different kind of conversation. And so a lot of them just kind of grew up in that or grown up in that. Somebody new to that, who suddenly gets ripped on by somebody who's older and they're sensitive, they don't take it well. Like at all. And that's what happened was this new kid, somebody ripped on him for, for cutting the window with like, I think it was like he, he used this really small brush and the older guy's just like, oh, what the hell are you doing? You cut that with a four inch brush. And he just kind of goes up and just like straight bead right down the window. Perfect line. And the kid had been struggling for quite some time. And so he just lost it. He just lost it. He started going off about, oh, you guys drank and smoke. You sound like fucking idiots and the whole thing. And it was, it was just because he felt threatened he felt his value had been diminished where everybody else in there would have laughed it off and called the guy an asshole like oh you gotta show off do it like there would have been a different kind of dialogue and so i learned a lot from that and unfortunately that employee didn't stick around the meltdown hit hard but from then on every time i was in a similar situation whether it was on the painting crew or in other jobs later on in my life I would always make the consideration that maybe this person is not used to having thicker skin. Maybe this person comes from an environment where fragility is encouraged because it is. It is encouraged in the same way that your opinions are encouraged because they, they define you, right? Your opinions are important, aren't they? Right? And because of that, your opinion of what somebody else is doing to you is also reinforced. Right? instead of you getting past it to some degree. And again, within reason, I'm not saying that if somebody's like beating on you or being abusive towards you, that you shouldn't you know, set, a, set a boundary because you absolutely should. But setting a boundary and letting somebody impact you negatively are two different things. The reason we set boundaries are so people don't impact us negatively. Right? And if they don't respect those boundaries, then we have to go out of our way to reinforce those boundaries and let them know, hey, that boundary's there, asshole. And that's okay. That's compassion in itself, because at least then you're giving them fair warning that the conversation is going to take a turn if they don't respect your boundaries, right? It's not out of malice, out of necessity, because you're no good to anyone if you're giving up your freedom just for the sake of somebody else feeling better. So boundaries are important as much as forgiveness and empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that is... Uh... I don't know. Some people get concerned about it's when when we talk about these and letting down your your guard and recognizing yourself and be feeling empathy towards everyone. They'll come back and be like, "Oh, so I shouldn't have any boundaries whatsoever." It's like, no, you can have them within reason. They're very important, but you understand where that line is, where it goes too far to the point where you know. You're validating a fiction. And that's the that's another point is what are the boundaries for? Are they for the reality of you or the idea of you? And so if you're putting up boundaries to 
protect the idea of you, you're only reinforcing the idea of you and therefore perpetuating all of your suffering. So it's almost having the sensitivity to understand are your boundaries about the reality of you or the idea of you? Because having no boundaries about the idea of you can help chip away at it in and of itself, like allowing for someone to come at you to feel some of that sort of discomfort in someone, you know, making fun of the idea of you or whatever, because they're only, as we just talked about for like 15 minutes, they're only feeling whole, uh, lack and discomfort and incomplete in themselves. So they have to judge you. So it's almost like not having boundaries about the idea of you can help that process of letting go of it because then someone judges you or whatever, and, and you just kind of laugh it off. But if you do have boundaries for the idea of you, then you're protecting that idea of you. Then you're protecting the root of that suffering. So boundaries, obviously, in a relationship, if you know you have a partner that's very aggressive in certain ways, like having boundaries and probably not being with that person is, you know, a, a good sign to not do that. I don't know if that's a great example for like setting boundaries, like probably just stop hanging out with that person. But when it comes to the boundaries, I think it's important, I guess, just to understand where that line is. Like, what are you actually protecting? Is this actually something that you need to protect? Or is the protecting of it, that process of protecting it and keeping it around, keeping it alive, only perpetuating that suffering? So I think there's a sensitivity and a nuance to what you're protecting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that setting a boundary in response to an egotistical hurt is probably one of the most toxic things that you can do to yourself, right? Where all of a sudden you're actually pushing away the opportunity to grow beyond that hurt. You're just reacting to it and pushing it away as a, as a result. Whereas feeling hurt, processing that, coming to a state of clarity and making a decision based on that state of clarity as, as opposed to a reaction while you're hurt, that's probably the best way to establish a boundary because at least then it's not in reaction to your feelings being hurt. It's as a result of you processing those feelings, doing a little soul searching, recognizing in self-honesty that, okay, maybe I'm just defending myself because I'm a little insecure. Then all of a sudden you're like, but that person was being super rude. So maybe I'm just going to put a line there and say, you know, I don't need to be talked to like that without actually feeling threatened by it. I just don't need it. I can leave. You want to talk to people like that? You go right ahead. I'll be over there not putting up with it. And that's okay, right? But to react in hurt, go, you can't talk to me like that. How dare you talk to me like that and actually get like super flustered by it and feel torn down by it? That's a different thing, right? Then that boundary is being set by reaction, right? And you may actually miss an opportunity to build a bridge. Because in telling somebody like, look, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm not going to put up with you talking to me like that. They may actually just stop and go, shit, I'm sorry. Because you didn't lose your shit. Because you didn't react. Right? Whereas if you, if you do fly off the handle because your feelings have been hurt, they're going to react to that instead of your point, which is something we've said numerous times. If you want to get across a point, you can't make yourself the distraction. Right? And if you are 
coming across as assaulting somebody, especially somebody who doesn't know how to deal with it, let's just say, they're not going to listen to what you're saying. They're just going to want to get away from what you're saying. Right. And so there's something about delivery. And that always comes back down to addressing that hurt. If it hurts, deal with that. If you're frustrated, deal with that, then react, then respond. Right. But deal with the dissonance first before you try to do something if you can. I know it's not always that easy. Do the best you can. And then after the fact, reassess in clarity again. Yeah. And I think there's, there's just so many ways to respond to someone acting in a certain way. And I think one of the most impactful is, is showing a sort of concern towards them, you know, not, not in pity, but just if they do lash out and judge you, if you're not so caught up in the idea of yourself, you can actually feel where they're coming from. And you can ask like, you doing all right? You know, if, if they're like, oh, you're such a fucking loser. You're, you're no good, blah, blah, blah. You'll never amount to anything. And, and if you just respond, you doing all right? How's, how's your day gone? You'll be like, did you not just hear me? I just, I just put you down. Why aren't you reacting to my judgments? That, that validates my opinion if you re respond and react. But if you're able to not only not respond aggressively and, and come at them that completely distracts any point you you give but also not even be hurt by it and show a concern for it that's going to have an impact far beyond anything you could probably imagine is just showing that concern being able to completely set aside that idea of you and and the potential how how potentially diminished it could have been by a statement like that in the past and just show concern for them because it it is clear through that that they are suffering and again this is way easier said than done i respond aggressively a lot of times to when people say shit or you know disagree or are perpetuating you know an illusion that i'm talking about and i'm just like ah oh, you're fucking shooting yourself in the foot fuck it hey uh, as opposed to, you know, showing that empathy, but I have, you know, there have been times in clarity where I have responded very empathetically. And I find that that leads to such a, not only a deeper connection, but a more fruitful conversation. And it's just the impacts of that and being able to just exist in a reality with, you know, quote unquote, other people without so much idea of yourself like if you can be free in yourself no matter what everything that happens especially when someone judges you or tries to put you down or makes fun of you is an opportunity to have an impact on that reality is an opportunity to have an impact on another iteration of you but it's through setting aside that idea of you it's like that that's what it has to be through you can't keep holding on to it because as long as you're holding on to it you're gonna need to defend it in those situations, if that's where you're driving your value. And as you let go of the need to derive your value from it, you don't see a need to hold on to it so much. You don't feel a need to continue telling yourself a story along the way. And then you're free. And then you're free to have actual impacts on reality as opposed to just defending it all the fucking time. So what you're saying is that we need to collectively make a rule and tell everyone in all the schools and workplaces not to define themselves. 
that will fix everything overnight, right? And that's the problem, isn't it? That's exactly what the ego wants. The ego is like, okay, just give me the how-to in three steps or less. And if you can't, it's not worth doing. Whereas I've got this one-step process to temporary satisfaction, guaranteed, right? And so that, that's really it. But what we're talking about is the organic changing of our species, person to person, personally connected to personal, to, to each and every person. Like that's the thing is in the mix. It can't be some rule or edict from on high. It really does have to be each and every person doing the best they can to get past their own shit. That's really it. And so when you encounter somebody who's lost in their shit, they don't sway you as much. And what you say to them changes because of that. Because we're all listening to the best of our ability. So what you say may actually make the difference between that person being destructive at the next opportunity or not. Because you weren't as riled up because you weren't as threatened by them because you made them suddenly reassess what they were doing simply because you didn't react the way they expected you to. It's the beautiful part about the ego is that it's really easy to fuck with. Just be original. Just be creative. Just be yourself. And the ego doesn't know what to do. It has no idea what to do. It throws it right off balance. And in that moment where it's off balance, if you are empathetic, that person hears you the ego's lost its hold for even just that second so all you have to do is just be unexpected which means stop expecting anything from yourself stop trying to live up to a narrative just be laugh a little easier love a little easier right don't be so easy to knock off balance just because people are insecure and lashing out wildly with fictions as long as you're not holding on to your fiction it doesn't knock you off guard right but it's it's through each of those conversations that the world changes it's not through any of us getting together as a group and marching towards the future. It really isn't. It's about the conversation you have after you listen to this episode. It's about the conversation you have early tomorrow morning when you're on the bus going to work. It's about that opportunity you have as you're going through the cash at the grocery store to look at the person across from you and say, how's your morning going? Because you can. That's it. That's all it is. It's one little thing at a time. And slowly, the disconnect that creates the atrocities will start to disappear. Like everybody focuses on the atrocities. How is this going to change the world? Gradually, just like we got here, we didn't start at this level of toxicity. This happened because we've avoided the conversation that changes it because we keep pushing it away. Why do we keep pushing it away? Because we are addicted to the mentality that runs this shit show. That's all it is. And it's because we haven't recognized it's a temporary mentality. We're surrounded by children trying to figure out what it is to be an adult. And there haven't been adults around for a long time. You know, the people that we call adults now are still playing the ego game. They're still thinking that they are what they think they are. There's so few of us that are, are trying to get past that because it's not a conversation that's been around. It's not a conversation that's been around. I was discussing this with the guest that I had last night. I went through 20 years of my life basically circling the drain. Why? Because nobody was there to tell me. You know all that shit you're holding on to? That's not actually you. Right? And it's none of those other people who just judged you. And it's none of those people who taught you to think that way. Right? It's, it's none of us because we don't have that conversation. But if we did, everything would change slowly. 
gradually and it would pick up pace generation after generation because it would be organic and it would mean something and you would actually benefit as a person which would make you want to share it. Not because it's some moral, not because it's some ideal, not because it's some utopian vision of the fucking future, but because you actually feel better right now. Right now. That's all this is about. If you feel better, then the person around you has an opportunity to do, to do the same. That's all you have to do. Just relax. Yeah, and, and talking about people have this idea of selflessness and how it's like not beneficial to yourself and all of these things of letting go of the idea of yourself. Like if they didn't have some benefit to you, like there wouldn't be so much incentive like it would be a much steeper hill that we're climbing but the great part of it is that this is what everyone's searching for freedom in themselves peace enthusiasm joy the ability to just do something for the sake of doing it to not feel lack and so there's a shitload of benefits that you experience from letting go of the idea of yourself. It's just a different track. It's just unknown. It's uncertain. It's something we don't understand. We can't put a three-step process on and be like, here are the benefits and here's how you do it and just follow this map and you go here and then go there. It's like, it's not that mentality. It's so different than that. It's being whole and complete in yourself here now of understanding there's nowhere you have to go. There's nowhere you should go, but you can go anywhere in that recognition. And you don't need a blueprint to know the best way to be and live because those blueprints never actually worked. They never actually got you to anywhere that you actually wanted to go. They just distracted you enough to allow you to feel like you're going somewhere. And at least you have that. At least I know myself. It's like, no, you don't. You know an illusion. You're holding on to an illusion. You're bringing it into every single moment along the way. And, and like you were saying, we have this idea that everything's going to get fixed overnight. It's like, oh, we just have to find the cure and, and take this, everyone take this magic pill and boom, that's it. It's like, it's just a constant process, moment to moment of going towards or away from yourself. And so we got to this place where we've gotten so far from the reality of what we are. And so it's going to be a process, as you mentioned, getting back to the reality of what we are. But it's not this idea of getting all the way back to the idea to the reality of what we are. It's it's a moment to moment recognition that right now, am I going towards myself or away from myself? Am I holding on to illusions or am I letting them go? What am I doing in this moment? Am I clinging to more illusions? Am I perpetuating this illusion or am I allowing it to let go? Am I allowing myself to live without so many stories and illusions and judgments and perceptions of this reality? If if yes, great, you know, keep doing it. But again, it's also not something you have to keep in mind every time. Like, hmm, am I going towards myself or away from myself? It's like you you can recognize through not holding on so tightly to the story of you that all of a sudden you're just acting fluidly. You're acting out of instinct, out of your gut feelings, out of what you understand to be the best way to react based on not clinging to the idea of you. But as you're clinging to that idea, as you're clinging to the illusions, 
that's why we have such a difficult time making decisions because we're we're veiling the reality of what feels best in that moment based on all these ideas. Hmm, what should I do here? What has this person done? Here, let me look back at all of these people who have made a similar decision and and check which one's best. Let me make a pros and cons list. Let me do all of these things to figure out what the best answer is. Meanwhile, it's been there the whole time. If you just let go of all of those ideas of what you think it should be or basing it off of what anyone else has done as if everyone else is you know, experiencing peace and freedom and happiness. It has to be through you. It has to be through the letting go of a need to make the perfect decision. Because as you hold on to that, you think it has something to do with you and you're keeping yourself around. You're clinging to illusions as opposed to letting them go. You're going away from the truth of what you are as opposed to towards it. So it's the mentality. It has to come down to the mentality and it has to come down to you in this moment right now that begins the shift. And that shift is going to be a really interesting ride. It's going to be a really interesting ride because you have to remember that the mentality of control is the reason we have such large governments. It's the reason the system is structured the way it is. And so as you let go of that mentality of control, as you start to actually get to know your neighbors and your community, because we're all relaxing and finding priority in the here and now, these overarching governments and their agendas start to become less relevant. They start to become less aligned with your priorities, with what you see existence to be. And so the system will have to change. The system will have to change. And this is kind of why I'm always saying that the mentality has to come first. Because if you really want to mess with the system, stop needing all the stupid shit it wants to sell you. If you really want to mess with the system, stop participating in the mentality like it's actually real. Just stop valuing it. That's really it. So when somebody comes up and they threaten, or they, they threaten you, but when they threaten your, your view on the world, you're just like, eh, you go about your day, man. And, and I'm just going to go on living and causing positive ripples or, or at least causing you know, ego-free ripples whenever I can. Don't take it seriously. The system hates that. It wants you to live by opposition because then it can control you. It can keep you working at your job while you hate everybody else who's in the same lot that you are. Right. And so everything starts to change, but it really just comes down to understanding that that change is going to be gradual. It's going to be gradual until it's all at once, until it's all at once. Because another part of this mentality shift that we're talking about is also this idea that you, you must get married, that you must have a partner, that you must have a kid, that you must have a house, that you must have all these things in order to be valuable. All of that shit goes out the window. So if all of a sudden you've got a couple of generations of people who are no longer valuing that quote unquote American dream, that material, that materialistic fucking nightmare, all of a sudden reality has to shift with it. The economy has got to shift with it and we all change accordingly. But it's in changing ourselves. It's in recognizing that just because some guy down the hill has a six bedroom house for himself doesn't mean you have to, doesn't mean they're happy, doesn't mean anything about them whatsoever, whatsoever, except that maybe they're trying to solve some insecurity. They're trying to make them feel more, they're trying to make themselves feel more valuable. Once you recognize that, then you start to actually feel better for the people with these giant goddamn houses that they don't need. Yeah. Amen. And I think that, uh, a mentality of needing a quick fix is 
kind of just the mentality of the ego, like even in this conversation, thinking that we want it to happen overnight. It's like the gradual process is it. Like that's what it is when we get quote unquote there. That's, that's interesting because we think it's a place that we get to, but the reality is that it's always here now. And so it's that gradual process. So it has to be that gradual process. It was a quick fix. This just doesn't fit into that mentality, any sort of quick fix or, or solved problem. It's like, okay, you solve it. And then we get back caught up in illusions, perpetuating, you know, going back further from the reality of what we are getting more lost in illusions. And so it goes. And so it's a moment to moment thing. So even the process of quote unquote, getting there is it like, that is it right there. It's happening, right? We're already there in each moment that we decide it. It's not a place. It's not a destination. It's a shift in mentality. That's always happening here. Now we're always fluctuating in and out of it, using the tools, using the ego, using the identities, just not allowing ourselves to get so lost in them, but it's already happening. Yeah. It's the difference between the flowing river or the stagnant pool. Right? That's really what it is. It's a living mentality. It's not a problem that can be fixed. It's a state of mind that's, that stops creating those problems. Right. That's what it is. And that state of mind is fluid and empathetic and present. It doesn't have a plan for the future because that's how the future gets all fucked up. Right. It has sensitivity for the future. It has awareness of the future, but the priority is now. And it's always based on what's real, not the fiction that's always lacking. Because as soon as you're trying to satisfy that fiction, you throw reality out of balance because you're no longer acting as reality. So there's immediately an imbalance. Right? So it really is just about being the living universe rather than resisting the change that we are, rather than resisting the uncertainty that we are and trying to settle down into these tightly controlled dead structures and then wondering why we suffer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's that uh, that's, uh, it's funny because even just throughout this entire conversation, it finally hit me that it's not a destination. Like we still get caught up in thinking that it's a, that it's a place and like, it's going to be a point, you know, retreat number 72, it's going to be the shift. And then all of mentality is going to change and all of reality is going to come with it. <laughs> like, no, it's happening right now. It's available right now. Like this is it. This conversation that we've been having for the last hour and a half is it like it. It's not like a part of it. It's not a step on the way. It's not a thing that's going to get us to it. It's it in and of itself. It's just the like you. we're having on our listener right now. And it's, it goes the same for you. Like your life is not a journey that is going to end and, and you're going to get to the promised land and 
you know, achieve, reach heaven and pearly gates and all that stuff, hang with Jesus and all the other people that you wish you could have met on earth. And it's like, it's not about that. It's, it's right here and right now is the extent of your entire life. All of it, all of it that's ever been and ever will be is right now. And it always is. To get fully involved because this is it. Right. Stop squandering your time. This is it. This is eternity. This is divinity. This is everything our ego wants. And it's right here all the time, just blocked by our fixation on the ego. That's it. And that's all we're ever talking about. And so it's a gradual change that happens right now by you relaxing and letting yourself be changed. So we're going to have to wrap up because we're coming up to the end of this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. This has been a lot of fun. I do want to remind everyone that we are going to be continuing on in about 15 minutes on Patreon. If you would like to join us, the group discussions are fantastic. They're a lot of fun. And of course, next Tuesday, if all goes according to plan, our live stream is going to be a little bit different. We're actually going to be able to give you a sample of what the group discussions are like on Patreon. We're going to be joined by a number of our supporters and we're gonna have a discussion and that's going to be that episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. And we're gonna try and do that at least once per month, just to show you that as much as these conversations are fun between Andrew and myself, the more mouths are on the screen, the more insights are shared, the more organic the conversation becomes. It really does go in numerous different ways. And it's so interesting to watch how everybody's life story, everybody's narrative or everybody's timeline up until that point comes into play. And the insights that we share with one another are seamless. They interact with everybody else's story. It's the most wonderful thing to see and be a part of. And so I do encourage you to join us on Patreon or at the very least tune in next Tuesday because it's going to be a riot. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing some of you there and very much excited for next week's live stream with the, with the crew. That'll be a lot of fun. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. I guess.